Our next movie in 1986 is King Kong Lives, and this movie was so bad, and the studio knew it, that they did something unprecedented with Roger and me. Now, occasionally, a film company won't give us a clip to review, but usually, it's a low-budget schlock film or a sleazy company. But the sequel to the entertaining 1976 King Kong should have been a classy production. That earlier film was a lot of fun, remember? Starring Jeff Bridges and Jessica Lange and the Big Ape. But this new one is so bad that the film company actually sent Roger and me letters saying they would let us show snippets of the film on our local TV shows in Chicago only if we promised in writing not to show you the same clips on this our national show. Obviously, they were scared, and obviously, neither one of us would sign such a letter. So, no scenes from King Kong Live. That's almost a public service. Instead, <laughs> just this warning. If you don't believe me or Roger, believe the film company that, think about it, couldn't find a single scene that it wanted you to see. everybody welcome back to a brand new episode of not a bomb podcast this is the show where we go back and talk about movies that bombed in the theater or maybe the critics just didn't like when they came out brad uh boy do we have a doozy tonight ook ook <laughs> what was that <laughs> that's my that's my uh, ape impression ape okay uh monkey. okay I, I don't know the difference between ape monkey chimpanzee they're all primates okay yeah i don't need your science in here it's a monkey <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, we're we're gonna talk about one of the most famous monkeys. You could say we're doing an April movie. Oh boy, yeah. Okay, dad <laughs> jokes are just gonna be flying. Well, the king of dad jokes is with us this evening to talk about this film. Uh, Sammy, welcome back once again. Yeah, I'm, it's like I never leave. I know. I think, I think I'm like I'm like the gimp. I'm in a box. <laughs> you guys just get me out. <laughs> Yeah, Whatever. well, for the, for the special occasions, yeah, yeah. I, we love it, man, and and I'm super excited because uh, I got to spend my commute home listening to your voice on the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. So you're you're back in in full effect over there, right? Yes, in full effect. It, All it is great. well in the universe. Sammy yeah. and Will talking about trashy '70s films. Yeah, once again, I'm going to be buying something uh, that I didn't expect to buy because you guys talked about it and gave it rave reviews. But uh, hey. We're not talking yeah. about your show. We're talking about this show. Yeah. In this show, we talk about bombs. And boy, do we have, we have a big bomb. I, I mean, I don't even think most people know this movie exists to begin with. But our, uh, uh, I don't think about I don't think they do now. I think they, you know, I think our generation when we were younger, we could not wait. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I agree 100%. Uh, but our, our good friends over at Umbrella Entertainment, so this is an Australian label, they've been cranking out some amazing Blu-rays. And I want to say it was about the fourth quarter of last year. I got super excited because they had announced that they were going to do a special edition of this film that I remember watching on cable all the time. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk more in depth about this character from the cinematic universe. But uh, as part of their Worlds on Film Beyond Genres, Volume 24, they released a special edition of King Kong Lives, also known as King Kong 
2. So it was a direct sequel to the 1976. Wow. <laughs> Whoa. Where did that come from? <laughs> There's a lot of sex in this film, Troy. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there. Totally, totally different King Kong film. Yes. Know. Well, is it, say, Sammy? Is that it? for? Yeah. Well, yeah, really. Yeah. Did you say that for after when I left? I mean, no, no. We got to watch this together. I was super excited. But yeah, we're talking about 1976's <laughs> sequel. I mean, I mean, you got that wrong. So 1976 was the remake of King Kong. This is the sequel to that remake. You, you'd think we were doing this for the first time, Brad. This is this is just... You're going to be all right, too? You're going to be able to make it? <sighs> I guess. I don't know. I just got all flustered. Um, I'm, I'm looking at this box art of King Kong Lives, and <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Start thinking about sex? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Um, I'm worried about you. <laughs> I, I, let's, I, before we talk about this film, just real quick. Uh, what what are your guys' thoughts on the original King Kong? So there's there's been three versions, right? I'm not talking about the sequels like Son of Kong or this one tonight, or or even you know the King Kong versus Godzilla stuff. But of the original material, we've got the what I think is a masterpiece, the 1933 version, right? King Kong. Yep. Then we have the 1976 version, uh, which is. I think that was Jessica Lang's like big breakout role. Correct. Yeah. It was. Okay. And then we have a uh, filmmaker and auteur, Peter Jackson, who did his epic long version in 2005. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I'll start with you, Sammy, because you and I are, are of the same age and, and kind of have a little bit of the same background. What are your thoughts on, on this character or any of those three films? Well, I think the mythos of Kong is pretty great and it's a pretty simple story at its at its core right mm-hmm. um and it has a you know it has a great punchline the story you know twas beauty that killed the beast or something like that yep i'm not quoting directly but um it's so it it, it kind of plays with humanity as well and then of course it kind of plays with greed and for lack of a better word love or lust or maybe just you know growing pains. I don't know. <laughs> uh, anyway, you can you can make fun of it if you wanted to. But I think what's interesting about all three films is they're all three the original King Kongs. Okay, this is not like like Troy said. This is not all the other versions of Kong and and uh, Gorilla or Monkey or Primate movies, whatever you want to call them. Um, I think all three versions have their own merits. I do agree that thirty three is probably the best one through and through. Um, but I have a real fondness for 1976's version because that's the one that we saw a lot, yeah. right? Um, yeah. They would show the 33 version on TV occasionally. I did not see the 76 version in the theater until they re-released it when I was younger because I would only been three years old. Um, at least I don't think I saw it. I could have, but I did see it. I think when I was five or something like that, terrified me for the record. Uh, it did. I did too. I saw it. I saw its initial theatrical run. I was four. And it blew my mind. It blew my mind. I, I, I did not. And, and here's the thing. I, I don't know if it's the same for you, Sammy, but I, I love Godzilla films. Love them to death. Yeah. But King Kong was what got me over to the Godzilla films. Yeah, I, I don't love Godzilla films as much. I enjoy them uh, for what they're worth, but I don't love them. Um, I've said that before in the past, so that's not news. But Kong... The sequence in the 76 version that sticks with me forever is the sequence of the trees moving. Oh, yeah. And, and before you see Kong. 
when I was little, that blew my mind. That whole sequence, <laughs> the Skull Island sequence and everything, yeah. scared me, terrified me, but it also just completely mesmerized me. And I just thought it was the most amazing special effects, the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. Now, time has not been as kind to it, although it still looks pretty good. Um, it's it's changed, and a lot of people have turned on the '76 version. I've never really understood why. I think it's a, still a pretty good version. Now, in saying that, Peter Jackson's King Kong is the most interesting of the three to me, bar none, because this is a film made by a person who is absolutely in love with the idea of King Kong. <laughs> well, and the mythos behind it, too. So yeah. his his intent was not just to recreate 33, but go back and say, hey, there's these lost sequences or... Um, there's these things that they wanted to do with the original, but couldn't. Right. 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 And, and he wanted to really create the end all be all version of that story. And I often tell this anecdote when it comes to that version of the film, a lot of people tune out in a lot of different spots, but one of the spots that everybody seems to tune out on is when Kong does the figure skating, the ice skating sequence. (laughs) Yeah. In the park. And, uh, it, it is ridiculous. There's no doubt about it. We can laugh and chuckle about it. I, I agree. It's ridiculous. I even laughed in the theater. But as I've thought, thought about the film over the years, to me, that is the sequence right there where it shows you just how much in love Peter Jackson is with the Kong character itself. Because it's like, nobody would do this. This was not in the original storyboards. I guarantee it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, interesting about that 2005 version. So. I have so much love for the 76 because it was my introduction to like the big monster film. And even after you saw it in theater and this was a big thing, there was a televised version that was broken up into two nights. And I think on the shout factory release, because they released the 76, you can see the TV version because it has an extra like 50 minutes, maybe an hour. And when it was originally shown, I mean, again, we lost our mind because you could see King Kong, with almost another hour of footage, but it was broken up into two nights, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, just absolutely love that. But m- my love for that film came at age four when the Peter Jackson one came out. They were showing the commercials, and uh, my daughter Angel was three at the time. So every time she'd see the commercials, she would stop whatever she was doing and was just fascinated. And right. I, I knew that film was like three hours. And uh, she she wanted to see King Kong. I'm like, we'll try it. I'm going to be that parent who takes a three year old um, <laughs> to, to you know a film. And obviously, I got tons of looks. That child for that entire runtime didn't move. She was glued to the screen. Her eyeballs were about ready to come out of her socket. Uh, didn't make a sound. And as soon as that film was over, she I I mean, she was in in heaven. She had so much fun to the point that all we heard that that entire evening was she wanted to see it again. So we had to go back the next day mm-hmm. and watch it again. And, and same thing. She watched that thing twice in a row uh, and just kind of fell in love with it. So I just I always thought it was funny that she had a little bit of the same experience that I did. Right. And um, I, I agree with you. The 33 is a classic, but I love each and every one of those three films. Now, yeah, I love all three for different reasons. Yeah, exactly. Now, Brad, you're of the younger generation, and you would have only seen theatrically the 2005 one, right? Correct. Correct. Um, yeah, so I saw that in the theater, and it's a bit overlong. 
but I do appreciate it because it is a spectacle. Um, and I think all the King Kong films, even the 76, they are spectacles and they do for special effects kind of the, the it thing at the times. And um, I think 33 is a masterpiece. I It's one of my favorite black and white films. Um, you can break it down really, really deep, um, get into like the racism part of it and, and all that. Or it can just be, you know, a big giant monkey film. Um, I grew up more on like kaiju stuff. And so King Kong was never really my thing. I was, I, I leaned more towards Godzilla. Oh, okay. um, but I always appreciated, uh, King Kong, especially that 33. Um, uh, when I started to really sort of get into watching film, I, I gravitated towards, uh, the 1933 version because I thought it was more, uh, prestigious and more, uh, say it made me more highfalutin because I was watching a black and white film. <laughs> But then I, I turned into really, really like it in um, the 76. I, I think I've seen it the least, but like Sammy was saying, Peter Jackson loves King Kong and you can see it in that film. It definitely does not want you to go anywhere for a long period of time. Um, I think a lot of those effects still hold up today. And I think um, some of the imagery, even in 33 is still pretty striking today. Just thinking about, all the techniques that they use to make it. Um, but no, I, I, I would say I love all three of them as well. Yeah. The 76 one, I, I, I don't know if you guys got to revisit that one sort of in doing homework for this one. To see a, a young Jessica Lang. Yes, I did. Uh, well, I, I'll tell you what the ending to 76, I, I would have never picked up on it as a kid, but each of those films just have this very poetic, sad ending. Yeah. And there is something about that 76 ending that is to me, even a little bit more of a gut punch. Cause it feels like a seventies film. Yeah. You, you get, if you get, if you forget the ending, they'll play it at the beginning of uh 86. So don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's so crazy to me. I I'm so fascinated with that ending of 76 because it's, it's not just that uh spoiler alert. Kong dies, but there's this incredible sequence where Jeff Bridges and Jessica Lang are trying to get this relationship going. He recognizes where she's going from a trajectory standpoint and has this great scene in a bar before the, the final climax about um, more or less like he, he doesn't think that they would work out because of um, what she wants to do from a career perspective, but even what she's addicted to uh, in terms of all that excitement and drama. And that, you know, they, they have this discussion over fur coats and everything. And when you, when you get to that ending of 76, it doesn't end with just Kong's death the way that 33 does. And, and you get that, you know, it twas beauty killed the beast. You get this really almost, um, the only way I can describe it is a seventies type shot of Jessica Lange being surrounded by reporters screaming and crying and Jeff Bridges standing in the background, just having that realization, like, I thought it was going to work. Maybe it could have and his heart being broken almost um, as much as realizing this whole circus and, and the human condition and everything like that ending of the 76. I, I think it's truly underrated. It it has such a, an impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. It, it, it is a 70s film through and through. Yeah, which uh, man, you have that ending and you go into the beginning of the the film we're going to talk about 
you know, today, which is the 1986 version. So a decade later, we get King Kong lives. Um, and, and maybe Sammy, you can help me out with this. So one of the things you have to remember is the 76 version of King Kong was kind of promised as the next big thing after Jaws. So we'll talk about Dino De Laurentiis and that production company, but he had gone out there and had basically said, we're going to remake King Kong. It's going to be the next big spectacle and it's going to outperform Jaws and it's going to set the world on fire and, and it's just going to revolutionize special effects, everything else. So he he is a bit of a showman when it comes to that you know perspective and has a lot of hyperbole in all of these statements. But there was a very high standard and expectation for the '76 King Kong, uh, and and Dino De Laurentiis as a producer was out there kind of promoting it and pushing it that way. So we'll we'll talk about the production and development. It it did well, probably didn't do as well as what Dino De Laurentiis had hoped for. Right. But there should be no surprise that there was going to be a sequel to something that was a box office hit. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is we're talking about the 70s and 80s. Sequels, believe it or not, generally weren't good. <laughs> I, I think people look at John Wick 4 now and go, wow, you got four great movies. That means three sequels didn't suck. Yeah. That's rare. And quite honestly, if you go back into the 80s and, and even the 70s, a lot of times when a sequel was made, you, it was pretty much guaranteed to suck because it was more of a cash grab versus, hey, we actually have a story here to tell. I mean, that would be accurate, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, Caddyshack 2 is considered one of the worst sequels of all time. Airplane 2 is another one. A lot of those, like you're right, they were just, we made a lot of money on this initial kind of trailblazing film let's spit out a, a, a sequel and get some more money and then we'll leave it alone. Yeah. And you'll, you'll hear stories all the time. Like if it was a box office hit and they didn't expect it, you, you would find a room full of writers. And we've talked about this in the past when you get three or four writers out there, it's generally not a good sign and it's probably going to bomb and they fast track them usually. Yeah. But when you have a fast track <laughs> uh, type film and they say, we got to get a sequel out there. And you see writer after writer after writer trying to tackle that content, you know that you're in trouble. And then more than likely, what's going to be the product of all of that brain trust is going to be a bit of a stinker. So that that was probably, I would say, the, the MO of, of most of the sequels that were coming out about this time period. And I, I don't mean to oversimplify, but I, I, I mean, to your point, Brad, I could probably name more sequels that stunk than sequels that were a hit so for every aliens or evil dead 2 you had five or six stinkers out there oh yeah yeah well let's go back in the time machine way back to 1986 brad i'm going to kick it over to you how did this thing do when it was released in the theaters yeah sort of an interesting release with this one so uh u.s release is december 19th of 1986 with a reported budget of $18 million. Um, its total box office run in the United States, so domestic run, was $4.7 million. So not very good. No. Uh, but a, in 1988, the film made an additional $44.2 million in the Soviet Union. Yeah. So it put it at $48.9 million total. Um, but then I read, so Trovi usually talk about 
production and marketing and advertising, and we say it's a 2X. Do you know what the marketing and advertising budget was for this one? I I can't even begin to guess only because of who the producer is. It and, was 3.7 times its production budget. And that doesn't surprise me whatsoever because I think, and we'll talk about the production and development, this is one of the films that got their production company in trouble. In trouble. Correct. Correct. Um, so when we factor all that in, it was a pretty big bomb because of the marketing and advertising budgets. Um, opening weekend, it makes $1.127 million. I'm sorry, $1.172 million. That is good enough for 12th place opening weekend. Ouch. And I will also tell you, this thing was in the theater for two weeks and was gone. Yep. But it had so, an amazing poster. You have to go back, uh, like do an internet or Google search and, and go look at a theatrical poster. It's amazing. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So it was beat by some pretty uh, interesting films here. We have The Golden Child, Star Wars 4, The Voyage Home, Three Star Amigos, Wars 4. I'm sorry, Star Trek 4. Star Trek. <laughs> oh sorry. My Thinking God. about Star Wars. Uh, where was I? Three Amigos, Little Shop of Horrors. Heartbreak Ridge, Lady and the Tramp, the re-release, Crocodile Dundee, No Mercy, An American Tale, Crimes of the Heart, Mosquito Coast, and then King Kong Lips. So 12th place opening weekend. Not only did this thing bomb financially, Troy, but this thing sits at a 0% with the critics. Ouch. 0 for 12. That is 0% and only 16% with the audience with over 10,000 reviews. You know, listening to that list of films, you almost have to believe that the critical response to this really kept people away from this thing. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, cause if you're, if you're again, back in the day, you would look in the paper and see, Oh, King Kong lives. It's, you know, nobody likes it, but I can see 10 other films that they love. I'm going to go see those 10 other films. It, right. it had right. some stiff competition. I mean, for its demographic, there were at least five films in the list that you said that everybody Absolutely. else was seeing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I also find this very interesting. So on Rotten Tomatoes, they will also give you films that are, are like this. We have Fatal Error, Pink Cadillac. Oh, the Clint Eastwood film? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Assassination, the Charles Bronson film. Oh, yeah. Gladiator, but the Cuba Gooding Jr. Gladiator, the boxing film. Yeah, yeah. I, I okay. I don't. I don't see it. Um. So I I did something this week, Troy, because there was no movie guide review. Oh, Pagan World Views. Yes. Okay. <laughs> but I've been using some AI to help me with do some stuff at work, and uh, I thought, hmm, I'm going to ask this AI to write a Christian review of King Kong Lives. <laughs> Right. You're not supposed to talk about the uh, artificial intelligence you're building to take over the world on the show. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. <clears throat> Skynet. Yeah. So you're saying Skynet, Skynet wrote yes. a Skynet Christian review. review of King yes. Kong Lives. Oh, my God. Okay. It's Christmas Here, early. Go ahead. Here we go. Yeah. This is the reason why I'm in the box. <laughs> <laughs> From a Christian perspective, the film's themes of love and companionship can be seen as reflecting the biblical values of relationships and community. The bond between Kong and Lady Kong demonstrates the importance of companionship and care for one another, which is emphasized in various uh, biblical passages, such as Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. <laughs> However, 
<laughs> the film's portrayal of the use of modern medical procedures to bring Kong back to life may raise ethical concerns among some Christian viewers. The <laughs> film does not address the potential consequences and ramifications of such actions, which could be seen as a lack of responsibility and stewardship over God's creation. The conflict between human and nat nature depicted in the film can also be interpreted through a Christian lens. The Bible teaches that humans have a responsibility for care for the environment and to be good stewards of God's creations. The destruction of forests, pollutions, pollutants of pollution of rivers, and disruption of ecosystems portrayed in the film can be seen as a violation of this responsibility. Overall, the film may offer some entertainment value. Its message and themes may not line with some Christian beliefs and values. Christian viewers may find the film's lack of ethical consideration and discard for the environment troubling while approaching the betrayal of the importance of love and companionship. Wow. It kind of gets a little redundant there, but I, I like it. Well, can, can I say that AI has better grammar? And oh, uh, yes. I, I mean, I think you yeah, should do good. that from now on. Yeah. Oh, the, I, I, the AI grammar has gotten quite good. Really good. That's a great review. Okay. Okay. And lastly, films you could have seen December of 1986. And gentlemen, let me know if you saw these in the theater. The Mosquito Coast. Yes. No. Okay. Uh, Heartbreak Ridge. Yes. Yeah, yes. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure you all saw this. The Golden Child. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Crimes of the Heart. No. Uh, no. No, I was not allowed to see that one. <laughs> okay. Uh, three Amigos. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the twice. weekend that. Oh, I saw uh, that one twice. I, I did twice. too. Yeah. Cinema's West. I know exactly where I saw that one. The weekend you could have seen King Kong, you could have seen Platoon. Yeah. Uh, no Mercy. Yeah. Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. So so let's just hold back. Let's, let's back up just for a second. <laughs> just think about this. You could have seen Platoon in the same era as King Kong lives. I think we need to address that because for me, Platoon is like, I mean, it's like a top five Vietnam movie. Yeah, it's a top five war film. Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing to me that these two films were in existence in theaters around the same time. That blows, no, On the same day, on the same day, Sammy. That blows like every fuse in my brain right now. So not, not to be the old man yelling at the sky. Oh, boy. But damn it, the 80s were the best. That that alone <laughs> tells you. I mean, yeah, that that's pretty amazing. I, I, again, my kids will never have that experience to go. Well, let's go watch Vietnam films and then go right into King Kong Lives or a comedy western. I mean, come yeah. on, yeah, that's amazing. What, what, the movie going a, experience in the eighties, glorious time was yeah, glorious. I love it. Wow. Oh goodness, you know you know what Owen Wilson would say, right? Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> Good job. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about the people who made the film, starting with those behind the camera. Now, Sammy, you and I watched this film together, had a blast. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Uh, and we talked. You, you asked a lot of very difficult questions, though. I want to I address this okay. to your audience. Yeah. Sometimes watching a movie with Troy is exactly like you think it is, just pure glee and fun. And then sometimes he starts getting philosophical, and for whatever reason... He got really philosophical with King Kong lives. I don't know what was going on. 
It, was, it got to the point where I was like, stop asking me these questions. <laughs> monkey titties. No, it, well, obviously, there was a Freudian slip there at the beginning with the uh, number 76 because we'll get to it. There's a lot of monkey nookie going on in this film, but. Uh, oh, yeah. Some monkey, uh, what, that, what do they call that? They call it monkey, uh, monkey business. Oh, yes. monkey business. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of monkey business. But let's talk about director John Gillerman. Uh, we had an interesting conversation that I would love to share is that as, as we're done watching this film, and we knew that John had directed the original King Kong, the 76 one, not 33 one, obviously. We, we went back and looked at his filmography and we're like, holy cow, it's super interesting. Yeah. So his directing credits go all the way back to the 40s, specifically with Hijinks and Society, 1949. And he's done adventure films, stuff like Tarzan's Greatest Adventure from 59, El Condor in 70. When you get into the 70s, it's it's super interesting. He does Shaft in Africa, which I believe is the second sequel, right, to Shaft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 73. I'd uh, like to see Shaft and Ernest go at it, like, Oh yeah. In okay. Africa. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be perfect. Give me that crossover. Uh, the towering inferno in 74. So this is the disaster film craze, which makes total sense yeah. that he would go from towering inferno to King Kong because it, it is a seventies disaster film. Uh, I mean, it's got Paul Newman and Steve McQueen in it. I mean, yeah. it's not just a disaster film. It's probably one of the greatest ensemble the cast disaster films film, right? Yeah. That Poseidon adventure. Yeah. 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 It, it tried to, uh, outdo Poseidon Adventure, right? Because I think Poseidon Adventure was before that. Uh-huh. I, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then goes from King Kong to an Ag- Agatha Christie property, Death on the Nile in 78. It's a pretty good version of that. Yeah. yeah. And then you get, uh, before King Kong lives, he works on Sheena in, from 1984. <laughs> Which is uh, a movie I watched a lot as a I, kid. I did too. <laughs> Probably not for the reasons that people think. Um. Yeah, we may have to talk about that one on the show too. That that's another one of those weird '80s films that just popped up. But that, what's amazing about Sheena, if you go back and look at it, is it's PG film. But I'm pretty sure there's full on nudity of Tanya Roberts in the film. Yeah, we we hadn't. If we, you know, another great thing about the '80s, we hadn't figured out what to do with the PG rating. <laughs> um, I saw Sheena more than once in the yeah. theater. Uh, then the Tracker in '88, I think, it was his last film. But man, yeah. that that's just a weird filmography. But it's the super interesting. It's a TV film, right? I don't yeah. think it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And okay, this is where I, again, you learn something every time you, you sit down and you start going through IMDb or looking at some of these credits. The screenplayer story, we've got, we've got some names here. So the first two I want to talk about is Ronald Shusett and Stephen Pressfield. Mm-hmm. So we'll start with Ronald. Here is some of the stuff that Ronald has worked on. He has a story by credit for 1979's Alien. Yeah, so, that's the one I think if people know his name, that's probably the first thing that's going to jump to their mind. Yes, because this is so this is the property where he met Dan O'Bannon. And I think they became friends or, or started collaborating on stuff, right? Yeah. So Dan O'Bannon's name is going to come up a little bit later. He works on Dead and Buried in 1981, another sort of cult horror film screenplay. I think Daniel Bannon wrote that film too. Yeah. Uh, he did. He did. Final Terror in 1983. Screenplay for that. Does King Kong Lives? This one blew my mind. He's got a screenplay credit for Steven Seagal's Above the Law in 1988. <laughs> which, well, that's a good one. That's a good Steven Seagal. Yeah, that is a good, good it's, Steven it's, Seagal film. Could, you could say it might be one of his best ones, if not the uh, best one. Yeah. Those, mm-hmm. those first three or four, 
pretty pretty good stuff. Yeah, and then he he also has a credit for Total Recall in 1990. My name is Nico. Oh, was his name? I hope his name was Nico. Yeah, no, because it was called Nico International. Oh, that's right. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Nico. He was uh the great name was in Alpha Justice where he played Gino Fellino. Yes. Yes. Oh my God, I love that film. Uh, and then 1992's Free Jack. He was a, he did the screenplay for that, which is super interesting. I love Free Jack. It's it's a crazy one. Did you skip one? Didn't you skip Total Recall? No, I said Total Recall, but then okay, you said Nico. Oh to, yes, yeah. I need to revisit Free Jack at some point. We're gonna do it on this podcast, so don't worry about it. Yeah, you can it. come back for that one. Uh, get yeah. about a hundred episodes. It'll make be. sure make sure you keep the keys nearby to get me out of the box. <laughs> <laughs> Bring out the gimp. Uh, and then Stephen Pressfield. So again, King Kong lives. He also worked on Above the Law. He worked on Free Jack. He hmm. did uh, 1993's Joshua Tree, which we've talked about before because it stars Dolph Lundgren. And uh, he's worked with Linda Hamilton before and Jim Belushi on a film called Separate Lives, which came out in 1995. So th- those are the two primary ones. And, and we'll talk about it. They they weren't the only ones that tried to re- write a screenplay, uh, screenplay for this film, but they were the ones that, you know, landed the idea and the concept that got the final credit. Now, this film is based on characters created by Marion C. Cooper and Edgar Wallace, which are responsible for the 1933 version. Cinematography by Alec Mills. Um, he's worked on things like King Kong Lives, obviously. The Living Daylights and License to Kill. So the two James Bond films he worked on and filmed those. As well as, and I, I only bring this up because I keep forgetting there's so many multiple sequels to this. Ace's Iron Eagle 3 from 1992. Yeah. I'm a big Iron Eagle fan. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> well, I am. Yes. Okay. I'm going to say Brad is not. It's, a, it's fine. It's fine, guys. I'm glad you enjoy it. Okay. Okay. Good for um, you. Good for you guys. <laughs> now, here's the name that we'll probably spend a little bit of time with because it's the most important name out of everybody behind the scenes. And we are talking about visual effects by Carlo Rambaldi. So he has won two Oscars, one for Alien in 1979 for best visual effects and another one for E.T., The Extraterrestrial, in 1982. His career, man, it he's worked with some of the greats, right? If, if you look at a selective filmography, we've got Bay of Blood in 71, uh, Flesh for Frankenstein in 73, Blood for Dracula in 74. So those are the Andy Warhol productions, right? Yes. Um, you're going to love this, Brad. Uh, Deep Red, Dario Gento, 1975. Mm. Yay. Yeah. Um, yeah, he gets us. Car- Carlo comes out of the Italian film, genre film world. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he gets a special credit at the end of King Kong, the 76 version. Hmm. Um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Alien, uh, The Hand from 81. That was the Oliver Stone film, right? Or no, that was at the island. Uh, yes. No, it was an Oliver Stone film. Yes. Michael Caine. Oliver Michael Caine. Okay. He designed the Dagoth and Conan the Destroyer from 1984. He was a creature creator in Dune. He created the werewolf suit in Silver Bullet, worked on King Kong Lives in 86, and also Primal Rage in 88. Does this name mean anything to you guys? I mean, when you you see it, do you get excited about his work? Or, I mean, for me, he's kind of seminal because I'm a big Italian film guy. Okay. Now, for Brad, that might not be, and I know we joke about Brad's non love of Italian genre films, but it's not a joke. He hates Italian films. I mean, hates, hates a strong. I'm going to Italy, Brad, and I'm going to tell everybody what you think about that. <laughs> There's a guy in Indiana. Yeah. No, um, 
but it, so he's a big deal to me, a bigger deal than maybe he is to most. Um, but I, I remember him for two things, uh, mostly, and that's ET, obviously, which is uh, just a pivotal creation of my youth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, not an amazing design to ET, but it's so simplistic and so kind of bizarre that it just works. And uh, then there's the other side of the coin, which is Zulovsky's possession, where I think he created the E.T. looking character that, uh, what's her name? Uh, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, is caught making love to with all these tentacles and stuff. Oh, boy. <laughs> and it's it's a it looks just like E.T. with tentacles in a lot of ways. So it's like he took the E.T. dummy and he's like, eh, let's pervert this up a little bit. Hey, I got see. <laughs> 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 that sounds but, it's, that sounds very much like transgressive cinema right there. Yeah, if you haven't seen Possession, you should. Uh, folks should see it. It's it's a it's a crazy movie. It, uh, it is. I've seen it one time and I'm good. <laughs> Johnny Isabel Isabella Johnny, I believe. And Sam Neil. Sam Neil. Yep. Yeah. And it's it's a it's it's a it's a yeah it's a it's a wild one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, he's 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 very important. I don't. I mean, I don't know how much we're going to talk about Dino here. Oh yeah, that's next. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll let Brad see if he's got anything to say about Carlo. Yeah. What about you, Brad? I was going to say I, I I agree with Sammy. I think his pinnacle is probably ET, and I think the ET design is simple, but I think it works in its simplicity. Um, and I think it's kind of genius to to the way that ET kind of functions. Um, I, I I have watched ET with my son recently. And I know that I'm getting old because I'm starting to side with the mother a little bit and not as much with Elliot. And I'm, I'm like, oh, boy, I'm getting yeah. old. I'm getting, the, mom had, the mom had some points. The mom has a lot of points. Yeah. Um, I agree with you 100%. Well, so, I mean, we'll talk about Dino De Laurentiis, but specifically, I was going to mention the production company, the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group. Right. So it's a studio founded by producer, producer Dino De Laurentiis. And the, the company is notable for producing a, a lot of movies. Oof. I mean, you've got stuff like Manhunter, Blue Velvet, horror movies like Near Dark, Evil Dead 2, uh, yeah. King Kong, and then King Kong Lives. Also movies, surprisingly, like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, as well as distributing, I think, the animated film, The Transformers, the movie at the time. Yeah. So he's one, and, and Sammy, I'll kick this over to you. You can kind of talk about him, give maybe a little bit of background or history. He, for me, was pivotal, pivotal, pivotal. I can't talk today. He's he was pivotal, pivotal in terms of my youth in the eighties. Because I got to be honest, if I saw that Dino De Laurentiis monogram kind of come up at the beginning of the film, I kind of got excited a little bit. Because yeah. he he played in so many genres, and and I got to say he had a lot more hits than he did misses, in my opinion. Yeah, so I mean he was a genre guy, and I think we got excited when we saw his name because we knew it was going to be something for us kids, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so we would get excited about stuff like that. But this, I, I just want to talk about Dino for a second and think about some of the films he's worked on that don't get talked about. Pierre Lefleur, uh, The Hills Run Red, which is a spaghetti western with Henry Silva in it, Navajo Joe, which is a Burt Reynolds spaghetti western. Danger Diabolic, which is a Mario Bava film. Maybe one of the most influential films ever made. Beautiful, beautiful yeah. film. Yeah. Barbarella. That's a That was a big De Laurentiis thing. That was really probably when I first started to really recognize his name was with Barbarella because I saw it so much. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, there, there, there's so much stuff in between. And then he, 
he keeps making these Italian films working and stuff. And then he starts to realize that he can, he wants to, I don't know if he wanted to conquer the world, but I think he wanted to be the biggest producer in the world. So he starts working with big stars, worldwide stars. And one of the biggest stars he ever worked with was Charles Bronson. He worked with him quite a bit. Vlachi papers, Chino, um, death wish. He actually is a producer on death wish, uh, which for me right there, he gains all the cred just for that alone. Uh, so he works with him and then he starts realizing again that he, he needs to make these bigger and bigger films, but he wants some Oscar buzz too. So he works on things like Serpico and, uh, but he never really kind of strays too far from money makers, stuff like Mandingo, crazy stuff like that, which is, is, is an insane movie. And it, it's Collision hard to, course. Yeah. It's hard <laughs> to believe it ever got made. But then when Jaws comes along, he's like, well, there's a lot of money to be making crazy animal pictures. So yeah. again, he works with Bronson again. He makes King Kong. He works with Bronson again with the white buffalo, which is essentially Jaws with a buffalo. And then he makes Orca, which is essentially Jaws with an Orca. He makes those films and makes some coin off of that, but he's still making good movies in there. The Great Train Robberies in there, which is a really good Ooh. film. Ragtime, which is a pretty good movie. Conan the Barbarian, arguably, to me, one of the greatest movies of the 80s. Uh, uh, yeah, and and you know, just the the names you've listed in, or titles you've listed in film I would say you would be hard pressed to find a producer or movie maker to have those type of credentials. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you you can list a few, but I would even say that Dino probably would trump all of them. His his career is so varied, and it covers so many eras of movies. Yeah, that Joel Silva. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, Joel Silver's uh, great, and there's some producers that are great, but for me. De Laurentiis is he's he is he is old school Hollywood producer coming out of Italy and he just controlled everything that he did. I mean, I didn't even get into the other stuff like Leviathan and uh, Army of Darkness and Jesus Breakdown, the Kurt Russell movie. He produced that. Yeah. I mean, he and bound the Wachowskis. He's the one that took a, him and Joe Silver both, I think, took a gamble on the Wachowskis. They worked together to get that film out. So, I mean, maximum overdrive, raw deal. I mean, come on. I can just go on and on and on. I mean, <laughs> but that's the thing. Ended. I mean, you say Joel Silver. Joel Silver would be known for action films. Yeah. Dino Mostly, Delor- I think of True Romance. Well, is True Romance one of his? I don't think it is, but maybe he's just kind of mimicked in it. But obviously, yeah. I think of Lethal Weapon films and Last Boy Scout, stuff like that. Yeah, but Dino De Laurentiis, I mean, I, I almost think of um, he he was one of the greatest producers because he had his hands in everything. Now, I loved him for his genre stuff, but my goodness, I mean, his resume, it's just top notch. And I, 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 I would, I would urge any listener to make the case of who could dethrone Dino De Laurentiis as the greatest producer. It, it'd be tough. I, I don't, I don't know if he's the greatest, but I think he top five, he certainly has to be. Yes. Um, and, and what's, and what's amazing about him. And again, I'll say this, he has some really high highs. And some really interesting lows. <laughs> yeah, but his lows are always interesting. They're always yeah. interesting. Always. I'm saying, I mean, his even his lows, I enjoy. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the cast. Let's talk about the people in front of the camera. We're going to start real quick with Brian Kerwin as Hank Mitchell. Uh, when you when you see him, you'll go, oh, that's the always safe version of Jeff Daniels. He, <laughs> that's, he, what, that's what you said. I, I did. He looks super like a low red Jeff super brand, Daniels. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Brian has done lots of television around 85, 86. He was working on stuff like Murphy's romance with Sally field. Um, he was on the television show St. elsewhere for a couple episodes in 86. And of course did King Kong lives. 
but I, I guess the person we'll spend a, the most amount of time with when we're talking about in front of the camera is one Linda Hamilton as Amy Franklin. Now she Hell took yeah. this, she took this role because she assumed that it would kind of launch her into stardom the way that the 76 version did for Jessica Lange. And to just give you a little bit of a background in terms of what Linda Hamilton had done sort of leading up to this in, in post King Kong, because I think when you hear that name, you automatically go to the Terminator franchise, but she I starts mean, rightfully. So yes, absolutely. I mean, that, that character is iconic in, mm-hmm. in, in cinema, but when you look at her resume and you go back to 1979 and say, okay, night flowers, then she works on stuff like tag the assassination game in 82 Children of the Corn in 84, but that same year she does The Terminator in 84, which is kind of a, a big hit. Follows that up in 86 with not just King Kong Lives, but Black Moon Rising with Tommy Lee Jones, Club Med in 86. And then after she gets done with that year, she lands this TV show called Beauty and the Beast, and that runs from 87 to 89. It was pretty popular. Then she's doing stuff like Mr. Destiny in 1990 and then comes back for the Sarah Connor role, Terminator 2 Judgment Day in 1991. Now, she's still working today. I think one of her most recent credits is in a TV show called Resident Alien, um, and she plays uh, General Eleanor Wright. But, Brad, I want to start with you. I mean, what's your take on on Linda Hamilton? I mean, are you a fan? Oh, yeah. I I mean, Terminator 2 was a pinnacle film of my my youth. Um, Yeah. I mean, it was basically the big budget film that really made me love big budget films in action films. It, it has everything that a eight year old kid would want and more. Um, I actually really, really love Black Moon Rising a lot. It's I do a, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like a crazy sci fi film. I, I really like it. But I mean, it, it starts and stops for me at T2. I, I mean, I can't express i mean i'm sure you guys have it too you're eight nine ten years old and you see a film that costs 200 million dollars and it just blows your mind um that was terminator 2 for me like that film to me is one of the most important films i've ever seen just because of of just how big and bombastic but also how like excellent it is it still holds up today but you know i i think it was kind of a curse for her, right? Because I don't think she ever truly shed the sheriff's the Sarah Connor skin. No. But I mean, I don't know if like that's it's not a bad thing. No, it's not because she will always be remembered for this yeah. amazing role. And you know, she's a badass in T2. Like she yeah. is badass. Um, so no, I I love her just for that. Okay. Not yeah, only think, for that, but it starts there. Yeah. I think 1991 is the year for linda hamilton that is that is the height of her popularity the height of her everything yeah i <laughs> i mean I, I loved her in the first terminator and i think the first terminator probably hit me and troy harder maybe than the second one did but yeah i i agree i mean ni- i mean that first 90, terminator is brutal <laughs> it is nine, 91 is the spectacle but the original terminator the 84 just for me was groundbreaking yeah across yeah, the board yeah, i mean i mean but again we were around that age brad was talking about Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I, I, I find if, if Hong Kong had Michelle Yeoh from an action star, especially in that time period, we had Linda Hamilton in 91. 
Yeah, um, I mean, the, I, she was as red hot as anybody in 91. Like, that was, I mean, that's all anybody could talk about was her and how ripped she was and how macho she was. And and it was just, it was all over everything. I mean, it was it was a huge deal. And arguably, maybe for American female action stars, it might have been maybe in some ways the kickoff of something. I don't really know. I've never really evaluated that, but it I, might be. I think that and Sigourney Weaver's Turn in Aliens. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Those are the two, if you're talking about female yeah, action no, it stars. Was it Jennifer Lawrence and uh, Hunger Games? No, it wasn't Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She was the first action star yeah, heroine. Sorry. Yep. Yeah, you're you're right. I I should say that you know James Cameron is also very responsible for this because he did turn Ripley into that badass. Because in the first film she's very passive in a way, but she's yeah. just trying to survive. Whereas the second film she turns the tables right and becomes aggressive. And clearly Linda Hamilton's character in T two is inspired by it. It's more it, of a more aggressive riff on that Ripley. It it is. But here's here's the thing I'll say about Linda Hamilton that I've always appreciated, especially about T two. She never loses the believability of being a mother. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, yeah, she's a mom first in that. I, yeah, I think what's kind of cool is I love the fact that everybody respects her from her action parts, especially in that film. But I don't think people talk enough about how good of an actress she is in terms of balancing that type of heavy duty action role against the fact that she plays a mother who's really just fighting for her son. And she has so many great moments of paranoia and um, just care <laughs> that stand out amongst all of the chaos and everything and, and the explosions within that film. I, yeah, I that just, Miles Dyson scene where she breaks down when she oh my tries God, to assassinate so good. him is yeah. really, really good. Uh, I, I and you got Edward Furlong whining in that whole film and she still believes it was a mom. Good for her. <laughs> Man! Man! Yeah, I, I've, I've always, I think, I think T two is her best performance ever, and she deserved all the accolades that she got for that. But I, as much as everybody kind of raves about her action status, I think people forget how great of an actress that she really is. Yeah, yeah, it's weird that it really never came together for her, right because she does T two, and then it's a few years before yeah. she does something else, and then it's a few years until she does like Dante's Peak. It no. just never, she was never consistently in films to where she really took off. I, I always felt like her career, great for her for being Sarah Connor, but I, I felt like it could have been more and it should have been more. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. But I don't know if society is like, if we were ready for like a big, strong, badass woman. I, I don't know. I always wonder about that. I think we were, but I think that for whatever reason, I think that that, portrayal by her was just so much larger than anything she could have ever done after that because i mean the only thing i really remember her for after that is dante's peak which is a film i don't really care for and i i really don't remember her much after that and every time i see her every single time i see yeah, her it's sarah connor it's sarah connor that's the first thing i think of yeah can you can you do a role so well and so iconic that you just can't shake it. I mean, yeah. I, I think the answer is yes, and Linda Hamilton is proof of that, right? Yep, she is. Okay. Well, Shadow through. Conspiracy should be good. It's not, but it's it's okay. So yeah. if you ever want a, a film that should be better, but want to check it out, Shadow Conspiracy. Okay. Uh, a couple other names I want to mention. So I'm always surprised when I see this film and he pops up, but John Ashton as Lieutenant <laughs> Colonel R.T. Nevitt. 
And I, I think there's two movies people know him from one probably more than the other. Uh, and that's Beverly Hills cop. He plays Sergeant Taggart Taggart, but he also Get the is, fuck out of here. Yeah. He, he steals every scene in my opinion um, from uh, De Niro in 1988's midnight run. Midnight it, run. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's so good at midnight run that honestly it's, it's like the greatest performance in a big film that nobody talks about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's so good in that movie. It's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, people don't talk about Midnight Run enough, do they? No, no it no. did well. I mean, it, I, I believe it was a hit. It just, yeah, it just wasn't yeah. like a, a huge box office draw, right? Is it? I mean, it could arguably be one of the greatest like road action comedies of all time. It's one of my favorite. Well, yeah, road you get Charles uh, Grodin, um, De Niro, and um, Ashton. I, I mean, just those three performances alone. Make, and Joey Pants. Yeah, Joey Pants is in there too. Yeah, Joey Pants, yeah, right? Peter's in the back end of it. Yeah, uh, a couple other names: Philip Baker Hall. Okay, sorry, Peter Michael Gates. We're just talking about Midnight Run. Jeez. No, we're gonna talk about King Kong. We're talking about Monkey Movie. Um, all right. So Peter Michael Gates is Doctor Andrew Ingersoll. Around this time period, you, you, when you when you see his face, you go, "Oh, that guy." He's in tons of stuff. Around this time, he's doing My Little Girl in '86, Jumpin' Jack Flash in '86, the Whippy Goldberg film, Promise in '86. King Kong lives. And then he's the same year. He's doing a bunch of TV. So the twilight zone reboot that they did Simon and Simon and Lime street, all that in 86, we get Mike star. Now, <laughs> Sammy <laughs> great, and I, great as, character actor, great yeah, character. As soon as he showed up on screen, because he plays cell guard number two, we're like oh, that guy. And there's, yeah. there's just two movies, right? The last dragon from 1985 yeah. and mm-hmm. then dumb and dumber from 94. Yeah. He's gas man. Hey, gas man. Yep. Uh, he's been, so he's been in so many things. He's, oh yeah. he's always good. He's a really good character actor. Yeah. He's got these little bit parts and, and I mean, he's proof there's no small part, right? You see him and he just owns it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he shared the screen with De Niro and something and did really well. And I thought, man, this guy can act with anybody. Yeah. I, I think so. I mean, just look at the last been, dragon. He's, he's amazing. Mad dog and glory, I think might've been the film. Maybe. Oh yeah. Know. With Bill Murray. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Peter Elliott plays King Kong. Now, Peter Elliott is the film industry's primary primate. He works both as a performer in films like Missing Link, The Island of Dr. Moreau, and as a choreographer of other performers, such as Gorillas in the Mist and Congo. So I don't know if we, we mentioned this in Congo, but he did the choreography for the monkeys in that film. Uh, he we also... You know, we, we really should address this because your podcast is quickly becoming like uh, the monkey movie podcast. You know, you got Congo, funky monkey. you got the fall, you can talk about funky monkey in the background. We got King Kong lives. We should. I mean, you guys do, you guys do love the primates here. Well, hey, look, I saw King Kong when I was four. And then the other film that are two films that I can think of that were major influences of my childhood. I don't know about Brad was the Clint Eastwood, any which way you can and every which way, but loose, right? Yeah, those were big on me too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, Peter Elliott teaches animal study at London Central School of Speech and Drama. We already talked about him being. Do you the think gr- this is Andy Circus's muse? <laughs> Could be. I didn't. So here's a little fact I found. I didn't even put this together is that the gorilla expert in Congo, right, is named Peter Elliott. And Michael Crichton has said he may have named him after Peter Elliott, who plays. King Kong in this film. There you go. May and, have. 
Oh, did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, you just, when you call a guy Peter Elliott, you go, well, I may have done it. Well, it's the exact yeah. same name. So this is Sean Connery. I may have named this dog <laughs> Sean Connery after Sean Connery. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, last name. Lady Kong is George Antoni. Uh, I, maybe you know him from the glam metal detectives in 95. I don't even know what that is. Elizabeth in 98 and Quills in 2000. There you go. So he's the he's the other guy in the the female monkey suit. Uh, yeah. r- r- real quick production <laughs> and development. So again, we talked about this 1976's King Kong really didn't match Dino's or the studio's expectations at the box office. Dino De Laurentiis had claimed that the film would outgross the previous year's Jaws and Paramount expected it to gross $150 million total. The original King Kong, right? Despite the perceived failure, the film was highly profitable earning back over triple its budget. So it cost about 24 million. It made it, 90, right? Yeah, it made about 96, came in right under 100. De Laurentiis had been interested in making a sequel to King Kong since he made the remake. And in 1977, he said there would definitely be a sequel. Quote, and this is Dino, Steve McQueen made a picture in which he died at the end, but they made another picture with Steve McQueen. Many stars die at the end of a picture and then go on to the next picture. Kong is a star. We are going to have a new story and a new Kong. The progress of his sequel is complicated by the fact the 1976 film was considered a financial disappointment and there were ongoing legal uncertainties over who owned the rights to King Kong, which is why it took 10 years to kind of get made. The number of scripts had been written, so there there are tons of scripts that go out there. And in quote, here's... Here's some of the ideas. They had King Kong in Russia, King Kong in outer space. Um, they had one with little kids leading him around saying things like, careful, Kong, don't step on that car. So they had writer after writer coming in and pitching all of these stories. They didn't give, give me that Kong in space. Yeah, they didn't oh, know yeah. what to do. So give me that film called careful Kong. Don't step on. That car. <laughs> yeah. So this is a case of it's not even just multiple writers. I mean, they had tons of people just coming in and doing a pitch and they're like, nope, go to the next one. Right. So Pressfield. Do we lose him? Dino, no, oh, I'm here. Okay. I'm here. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Dino, Dino De Laurentiis is arguing that Steve McQueen and his dad's at the end of the film and can come back. And he's arguing film. That Kong, yeah. Kong being a star. Mm-hmm. As if an Italian producer who comes out of the Italian film industry needs any reason to exploit a property. <laughs> it blows my mind that he would say something like that. Right. Well, he did. So, it's, and it's on record and it's yeah. in Wiki, Wikipedia. <laughs> We didn't even mention, by the way, when we talked about his credits, we didn't even talk about probably one of the most seminal films he produced for all for Troy and I's generation, and maybe even Brad's in some way, and that's Flash Gordon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Flash Gordon. When we talked about Flash Gordon. Yeah, we right? yeah. So, um, Pressfield and Schuset pitched the idea that Kong has been on a giant respirator for years, and he was brought <laughs> back to life with an artificial heart. So, that's, that's the and start that of this one film. that one is the one we did. Yeah. According to Pressfield, Dino loved the whole idea of the artificial heart and said... I'm going to I'm gonna do a Dino impersonation. That's a brilliant. I've been a wondering for five years how to bring him back to life in a way that the people wouldn't accept. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> there it's you go. me, so Mario. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. me, Dino. <laughs> so, the, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, all of a sudden, careful Kong, don't step on that car. It sounds like a brilliant <laughs> film, right? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's crazy. So director John Gillerman said later, 
that making a sequel to King Kong was a bad idea. Dino was striking out on all sorts of things at the time, and it's really too bad that he suffered a run of flops. He was involved with some interesting projects. And you talked about this already, Brad. So overseas, the film was a success in the Soviet Union, um, becoming the top-grossing foreign film of the year and one of the top 15 highest-grossing foreign films of all time over in Russia. They love this film. They should have just made it Kong in Russia. It would have. Yeah. Obviously, the Russians love hey, it. Hey, I love that idea. <laughs> the Russians are like a Kong. <laughs> um. This is worse than the Loquisha episode. <laughs> it is. Uh, so the financial failure of the movie, along with a couple other films like Taipei, uh, Taipan, I think was the other one that came out about this time period. Yeah, Taipan. So Taipan, between Taipan and this one, it eventually led to the bankruptcy of the De Laurentiis company mm. and it went under, right? So a couple of other things. The film was nominated for one Razzie award. We love our Razzie awards. Worst visual effects. Actor Peter Gates received a residual check of 12 cents from the film and decided to frame it as a tribute, never cashing it. I love that little tidbit of information. And this is for you, Brad. I found this out. Didn't even know it. Two official video games based on the film were developed and released only in Japan by Konami. They were titled King Konami. Konami, sorry. All right. They were titled King Kong 2, Ikari no Megaton Punch for the Famicom. And King Kong to Yomi Gairu Densutsu. I, I don't I don't even know what this is for the MSX. Okay. The Famicom game totally discarded the human aspect of the story, and players played as King Kong, who has traveled around the globe finding giant robots and certain military forces in order to save the female Kong, which sounds like an amazing game. Um, I'm trying to remember what the MSX became. That wasn't Sega's machine over there, was it? I can't remember what the MSX was. I defer to Brad. No, it's a home computer. It's a home yeah, okay. computer console. Oh, it was? Well, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I remember reading about it in magazines, and I remember thinking, oh, man, those Japanese guys, man, they got the MSX, and they got the Famicom. and Yeah, I, th- that game sounds amazing. The MSX version, on the other hand, plays from the perspective of Mitchell, the, the uh, Dollar General version of Jeff Daniels, and it's a role-playing <laughs> game. So that's, it I want to say the MXX was was very. I want to say maybe Microsoft was involved with that. Was it the equivalent of like the Commodore Vic Twenty or? I think so, something like Commodore Sixty Four. Wrong. Okay. I just remember seeing that a lot in magazines back in the day when uh, you know there was a lot of gaming magazines out there. Okay. The MXX, you'd see it pop up. Well. That's all the background on this little gem from 86. Uh, I don't know about you guys. I'm ready to talk about King Kong Lives. So let's do it. All right. I don't know why that makes me laugh. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to share our thoughts on the sequel to King Kong titled King Kong Lives or King Kong 2. So stay tuned. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. 
mightiest monster meets the world's mightiest menace. King Kong, bigger, stronger, more ferocious than any living creature, faces his greatest challenge in King Kong Escapes. For now, Kong meets his greatest foe, a duplicate King Kong created by an evil genius, built of indestructible super steel, 60 towering feet of invincible robot. King Kong, who can defy the might of modern artillery, tanks, missiles, the vast strength of prehistoric monsters, clashes with the Kong of Steel in the battle of the century in King Kong Escapes. All new, all thrilling, more fantastic than ever, King Kong Escapes. A Toho Company limited picture, a universal release in Technicolor. Here we go. Uh, Sammy, I'm going to start with you. I, I had the pleasure of watching this little 80s, I don't know what it is, uh, with you when, you when you did a visit. So I want to start with you on your thoughts. I This is not a first-time watch for you, correct? Correct. Um, I didn't... Uh, I don't think I, I... I'm pretty sure I didn't get to the theater for this one. I know I didn't because I would have I remembered. But I told you that I had seen it on TV. Yeah. And uh, that's how I remember seeing it the most. But watching it with you again on the rewatch, there was so much either that they cut out of the TV version because there's some stuff that happens in this one. <laughs> yeah, uh, I felt like I was watching it for the first time. I, there were some things I don't remember. Oh, um, yeah. There's some things that I really don't remember. You, you, don't, was, you didn't get the Spice Channel version of King Kong's <laughs> yeah, no. Dude, um before before we get to that, can and Sammy, I know you talked about this, and I think you said it too. For anybody who's interested, the Umbrella Blu-ray release is freaking fantastic. It looks gorgeous. Yeah, it's uh, insane. It has a 5.1 DTS track. It has audio commentary from King Kong, the history of a movie icon author Ray Morton. Has a new interview with miniature supervisor David M. Jones. New John Gillerman Lives, a video essay on director John Gillerman by Stephen Vag, original theatrical teaser trailer in Steel's Gallery. If you happen to pick up the special edition, you got all of the Japanese um, lobby cards, like reprints of those. Right. But bar none, one of the best looking transfers of an 80s film I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I was kind of stunned. We were watching it, and I, I kept thinking to myself, this this movie looks ridiculous. I mean, yeah. I didn't. I just did not expect that. I don't know why. I mean, but sometimes you see these things on Blu-ray and they just look like a, a higher definition version of a DVD. I mean, just, right. you know, slight, slight uptick, right? This one definitely has a tremendous uptick, at least from every version I've seen of this film. And, uh, I mean, you can really see things in great detail here. Things that I wonder now in hindsight, if I didn't see if they weren't in the TV version and maybe I just couldn't see them because they were so murky. It could be. I mean, I, I remember watching the heck out of this on VHS and I, I feel like I was watching that through some Vaseline covered lens versus the way it looked on this one. But I, I mean, 
did you like it? Well, here's the thing. I, I, I don't think this is a good movie. Uh, it's not. But it's so kind of bonkers that it almost has to be seen to be believed. And I think that has some merit. Okay. Now, you know, I review a lot of movies like this. We review a lot of movies where, you know, they're so bad they're good or... You did King uh, Kung Fu, which was made in my hometown, Wichita, Kansas. King Kung Fu. Yeah, yeah which literally has a guy in a monkey suit. Yeah. Um, it, and it's a ridiculous film, too. But some of these films just need to be seen. It, it's hard to believe the names and the money put behind this and stuff and the ideas that they decided to come up with. Like, this is uh, Italian cinema running, wreaking havoc on American audiences in some way. And it's kind of it's kind of profoundly just it, it's it's out there, it's out there. I mean, within five minutes of the movie, you're already talking about there's a gigantic artificial heart. <laughs> We're talking about a heart transplant. Yeah. Um, there is uh, uh, the largest surgical utensils I've ever seen, <laughs> <laughs> which is almost buffoonish looking. <laughs> Bend over and I'll show you, Sammy. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. There there's uh and then you know the female Kong uh shows up and she has clearly has breast, which is just I mean, maybe that's scientifically accurate, but it's bizarre. Can can we just say she has city miles breasts? I mean <laughs> <laughs> it took me a minute to figure out what they were because they weren't in They're, the position that I thought. If you that were they had would... two pairs of socks and you put some bowling balls in there, that's what yeah. they look like. That yes, there you go. Crack crackhead breast. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they Hey Kong, you got any bananas? I suck your dick. Oh my god, no, Brad, come on. <laughs> anyway, uh <laughs> but they they are <laughs> Troy's gonna lose it. <laughs> you see, we lost him. We he's gone. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, so that's bizarre. We're looking at each other, Troy and I, we're looking at each other and like, we don't remember this. There's something, <laughs> I didn't. There's I didn't something remember wrong any of it, yeah. Yeah. And really, I'd say for like the first 30 or 45 minutes of the film, Troy's asking me a ton of questions. I'm looking at him, he's looking at me. We really don't know what's going on. I mean, the film is the film tells a very clear story. We should does say. it? <laughs> I think it does because okay. really, it's just like about, a parallel story, if you will. It's 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 yeah, parallel story. Right? There's two people. That, there's two groups of people. Well, there's two primates and two people, and both sets are incredibly horny. And they <laughs> yeah, want, that's they, an understatement. <laughs> this is like a Skinamax Kong. Yeah, they want to get it on. Now we never see Kong and female Kong mate. We just see them flirt, and there's some some of the most disturbing smiling monkey footage <laughs> I have ever seen in anything. I mean, it is, it is, oh man, it is something. It's like nightmare fuel to me. And, and then the, of course the Linda Hamilton character is totally enraptured with the uh, dollar store, Jeff Daniels. And it's just, it's amazing that they decided to tell these parallel storylines, but I think the storyline is very easy. Kong survives. He gets a sniff. This, this is something we can all relate to. He gets a sniff. And he goes looking, so he goes looking, and then he loses his mind over his lady friend, and uh, hijinks ensue. And then you bring, of course, a, a, a you know, I can't call him a redneck general, but he's certainly a, a pro war kind of a general into the mix, and he's going to win no matter what. But you do manage to get rednecks in the film somehow, and it's just this really weird 
journey of Kong set pieces that you just never expect to see. You don't expect to see, and I'm, I'm sorry for anybody that hasn't seen this film, but if you're listening to this, there will be spoilers here. You just don't see uh, Kong eating alligators. And then you don't see him like grab like a, almost like a necklace full of alligators yeah. to carry around with him for snacks. Um, but that wasn't the part that really got Troy and I. The part that really got Troy and I, and I think Troy can agree because I do not remember this. And I guess it's because it was on TV. I'm pretty sure they didn't show it. But Kong literally, literally snaps a guy in half yeah. and eats him. Well, no, he he snapped a guy in half. Yeah. And then he ate the other guy. Okay, so that's what he did. So he didn't yeah. snap him in half like candy bar. And, then, he and then he's like, oh, I got something caught in my tooth. And let me get this hat out. So that's I, the kind of movie this is. Yeah, it it was it has to be seen. <laughs> it was some of the best cinema well, I have seen in a while. Looking down the barrel of the lens too, like it just eye contact with the audience the whole time. Oh yeah, he's staring you down. He's looking in your eyes. soul as he's <laughs> eating alligators and guys. It's amazing. It, it's it's one of just the most bizarre things. I mean, I, I think back Troy to us watching it, and I think to myself, they poured a microscopic amount of beer into Kong's mouth. Yeah. Yet he spits out a tidal wave of beer when he spits it out. So I'm wondering if that was really beer in his mouth or <laughs> what was that? Was Allig- that alligator juice? I don't know. But they, so that those, those are the questions I was asking that Sammy's yeah, you, talking you about. Cause were. you, you say that this is a straightforward story. I, I get that. But my questions were why? so <laughs> they just they just this monkey went on a terror and they're like uh we're gonna revive him even though he killed all these people and oh yeah. by the way we're gonna spend seven million dollars on an artificial heart and what, yeah. why what are they gonna do with him after they put the artificial heart in so my question i, I assumed it was like gonna be like a military thing they were gonna program him to go into russia I, that's what i was thinking well i mean i guess they could have that yeah I mean, I guess they could have done something like that, but it was just, I mean, if you want overall logic to the story, there is none. Yeah. And how, why, how does the heart look bigger than his chest and how did it get in there? <laughs> yeah. But the, uh, the, the, the swabs to dab the blood look bigger <laughs> than Kong. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> look like, look like they were playing operation. They were taking like Kong. the biggest pillows stuffing that you can think of and just sh- shoving them in his arteries. And somebody's just with a garden hose of red, whatever, uh, it, spraying so it all over. Yeah, it was amazing. And, but I think as a, as a simple story of a monkey lust, uh, this film is it, it, it's profoundly disturbing and strange. And it for me, this is almost I mean, it is for me. I'm just going to say it, it. It's it's so bad. It's good. It's it's like it's so out there. It's long in the tooth. That's 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 one problem I have with it. Even at 105 minutes, I think it kind of wears out its welcome after a while. And part of that, I think, is because of some of the acting in the film. I do think John Ashton's really good for what he's got to do. I actually think Brian Kerwin is doing a pretty good job uh, trying to be what he can be. He's very he's very dull, but he at least you know he at least emotes and cares about the female Kong character. Uh, and you kind of you don't. I'm not going to say you feel it, but you certainly feel. Like he actually cares. And Linda Hamilton's interesting because she starts out as this really strong willed character who really just when Brian Kerwin comes around, just immediately opens her legs and does. Yeah. She gets a whiff of Brian Kerwin and is doing what Kong's doing and chasing him down. 
And it's very bizarre. It's like yeah. she starts out as this very unique kind of strong woman, and then all of a sudden she's like, oh, oh, dollar store Jeff Daniels. But <laughs> I loved you in Independence Day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah. But so it, it's just such a weird film that I can't say enough that if you've never seen this, and I hate if you've listened to this and you've heard these things, because there is pretty much, mo- if, if I had seen this before, at least a couple of times on television and still watching it with Troy three or four days ago, I was still in shock at some of the stuff I was seeing. Uh, I could, I just couldn't believe that they went this far with the Kong movie. Like it, it's an Italian exploitation film. It's an Italian King Kong movie. A hundred percent. I mean, and the fact you go from eating alligators, snapping a guy in half, eating a guy in whole, taking his cap out to uh, yeah. golf course hijinks, and then stepping on a Ferrari, I have not seen a sequence that bonkers in a long time and was just giddy. Was that a reference to the Kong don't step, watch out, don't step on that car? I think that yeah. part of the script made it in. Yeah. I think that was a Lamborghini Countach. For the mm-hmm. Okay. Very 1980s. Yeah. yeah. With a name like Countach, it could not be, right? I mean, true. Jesus, who, who names the car a Countach? I mean, that just sounds dirty, right? Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it, 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 it was. I, I'll say this. I had a ton of fun watching it with Troy. I don't know that I would have had as much fun watching it by myself, but I think, I mean, I'm going to buy this. I know this is not a good movie, but man, I could rewatch this like off and on over the years and I would be entertained because, because it, it's bonkers. Okay. All right. All right, Brad. Uh, so, <laughs> With these type of movies, I'm always asking the same questions. Like, did you watch it alone? Did okay, you did yeah, watch so it. Alone. I watched it alone. I had never seen this before. Never seen it before. Okay. Did you even know it existed? Um, not really, to be perfectly honest with you. It wasn't until about two months ago when we were putting together our upcoming shows. I was like, King Kong lives. I looked it up. I was like, oh, it's a sequel to the 76. I had no idea. Okay. Um, And then I was like, oh, Linda Hamilton, sign me up. Uh, To kind of expound more on what Sammy was saying, he said this movie's pretty dumb. Like, this movie is straight up stupid. Like, it is so dumb. Yeah. Um, Yep. Yep. And I think that's the best thing about it. Mm. it. It doesn't really have a whole lot more going for it. Like, the miniature work isn't great. The green screen work isn't great. Uh, the effects are pretty bad overall. Um, it's a lot of like a giant hand moving through the jungle very slowly as the guy runs away, cut to Kong running after him. It just Uh doesn't really add up. Um, I, I, I did watch this by myself, which might have tainted my viewing quite a bit because I, I found it to be kind of a slog, Yeah, but there was ever, but there was moments where I was kind of in disbelief that they were doing some of the things they were doing. <laughs> Cause you introduced the, the female Kong character. I'm like, they're going to have a baby at the end of this, aren't they? And sure enough, they do. Uh, and it's all it about be said that that caused me to Google the gestation period of gorillas. Oh yeah. Because Sammy I mean, and I got line, a big argument. Line up? No, cause well, we got in a big argument. He said, it, well, you can't, you can't like have nookie, and then deliver a baby in four days. 37 days. 237 days full gestation for a gorilla. Yeah, but Kong had been eating alligators in the wild for like four months or something, I think. That ain't, that ain't all he was eating. <laughs> 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 True. Rednecks. He was eating rednecks. <laughs> yes. 
That ain't all he was eating. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> I, uh, that you gorilla know. Kuntash. <laughs> Jesus. I, uh, Look, this, this, um, this was gonna happen with this film. This is this movie has hey, so they made it. They they made it do this. so um, much sexual overtones throughout this whole thing. I, so, and I think, I I think, like I didn't hate this movie because it is so stupid. Like it might be one of the dumbest movies I've seen in a long time. Yeah, it's what mm. I think. I would recommend people check it out uh, because. It's got some moments and it's got enough there to where I, I feel like the runtime while overstaying it's welcome. It's got some moments where I, I think you need to check it out. I, I at first was not on board at all. And then the second half kind of gets a little bit more bonkers and a little bit more bonkers. And I, I was going more for that. Um, the way Linda Hamilton's character devolves is a little bit disappointing because at, at first she's a very strong independent woman and then she gets a whiff and she wants uh wants her dollar store uh Jeff Daniels. So I I you know I didn't hate it, Troy. But oh, that's good. <laughs> I I was really mad at you to be that at the first part because I, I was like this this movie is not great and and uh, I was a little, little distraught, uh, but I made through it and I was a little bit jealous of you guys because you got to watch it together. Yeah. Um, but I will say it's got enough going on that I think it's worth it. It is not good at all. Like it is not a good, it doesn't even get a whiff of being a good movie, um, but it's got enough dumb things like like you said, he eats a redneck. Um, they blow him up. They blow up a mountain and he's like stuck in like the rubble. And they're like taunting this giant beer while he's buried under rocks. Yeah. yeah. And then he just simply jumps out of it and, and goes after these guys. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not good, but you can do a lot worse. And I think if you have a group of friends, you could definitely have a really good time with this. Uh, yeah, the film, the film maintains its stupidity and that's, that's, it that is consistent. Stupid. It's yeah. consistently stupid. Consistently and stupid. What's, what's I, I think about if, if I wanted to do a review of this film, like, like a meta within the film, think about the character that drives away on the boat and he gives the finger to the people on the dock. <laughs> <laughs> that is the critical response to this. I film. got, like, this I got movie, a hearty <laughs> chuckle out of that. This, this film is so stupid. We know that up yours, buddy. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, uh, man, I, I mean, y it you reminds guys are, me of Homer Simpson getting stuck in the sinkhole and giving everyone the finger while he's going down. Yeah. God. So it, it, this reminds me of Homer Simpson made a King Kong film, to be quite honest. Oh, like, like his car that he made? <laughs> yeah. I, it, yeah. I mean, you, you can take a critical approach to this, which everybody did in the 80s, right? And they go, oh, there's pacing problems, which even then, I don't know, because just just when I think I'm starting to get bored with it, something just bonkers happens uh, at every step of this film. 
and just when it starts to drag, they throw something in your face and you're like, I, I can't believe I'm I'm seeing this, right? <laughs> Those are monkey titties, is what they throw in your face. <laughs> I just yeah. um yeah, and, they were. yeah, there's wooden acting, there's zero chemistry between the leads, except for the two guys in the monkey suits. Their their courting scene is hilarious. Yeah. Uh but I, I like I like your summary, Sammy, that if you if you look at it as Italian exploitation and maybe give it the same treatment as a fifties creature feature film mm -hmm. that came out, uh I, I don't think the movie's terrible. Yeah, um, but they spent eighteen million dollars on that. Like that's a bad idea. I I don't know. I No, it's a bad idea, Troy. The it's been million. another three point uh, three point seven times that for everything else. Like that's not a good investment. I money. just all I I imagine Dino in the background going ah too much dialogue. Have that have that thing blow up. Have a Kong come over here. I mean, as soon as you get <laughs> done see her titties. Hey, yeah, as soon as you get done with the tra heart transplant scene, which is bonkers by itself, it it starts to slow down a little bit because you got this party and whatever, and all of a sudden Kong wakes up and he's like, hey, I just had a heart transplant. I, I want some nookie. And then you get this whole, he breaks out. He goes after her. Things are blowing up for no reason. Um, yeah. Cars just touch each other and they blow up. So it, it never, for, for me at least, it never bored me. Every time I thought I was going to get bored, by that point, from a pacing perspective, something ludicrous would happen. Well, that's a, that, that's a valid point because that that's what I mean. I mean, every time that, I mean, it, it look, it's dumb. But it every time... I thought it had reached the pinnacle of its stupidity. It out outdoes itself. And that is that has to be said. Yes. That's Heart transplant is not the dumbest thing in this film. No, you not think it film. is. You're like, yeah. oh, dude, this is insane. And and yeah. just strap in, man. Like, hold my beer. Yeah. Here comes this yeah. other stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, literally. I mean, it just keeps one up in itself. And it's pretty insane. Up to and including... The baby Kong sequence, which is just like, what is going on? What are we watching? <laughs> I th I did think that Lady Kong was going to break her water all over them. I was like, it definitely. Is <laughs> I would, I would not have been surprised yeah. if that happened. Um, and let's be honest, Baby Kong is not size proportional. <laughs> no. to Kongs. Baby Kong is one ugly Baby Kong too. Let's, you know, when you you've seen ugly kids, right? This, this is one of those. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say anything to Mrs. Kong, but I mean, come on. No, you know but I, I, and you get, and it's not even, it's not even the kookiness that's going on. But in the background, Sammy and I are cracking up about this. Um, the military has a primate holding division. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know what? In, in my head, I'm like, okay, that doesn't seem so weird considering the spending PhD? I see going on. PhD, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, top secret uh, division of the military we didn't know about until we saw this film. Yeah, and and you you get this final sequence that turns into okay, those last 15 minutes with the military. That's a freaking John Woo King Kong film. It was only missing doves. That was the only thing it's missing cuz it's heroic bloodshed. Oh, he's, he's getting torn so up. He's thrown. Oh my god, it's amazing. Yeah. Um but they earnest they earnestly want that moment between Kong Lady Kong and then the baby to be this emotional scene. Like earnestly going for it like that they're not trying i don't think they were out to make it cheesy like they wanted the audience which makes it so amazing i mean I if, you, if you put a trench coat on him and a matchstick hanging out of his mouth i would have thought it was chow and fat just fighting off the military uh it, it's it's fantastic and then you get this <laughs> you get and all this stuff is happening and then linda hamilton's out there like don't shoot the female she's gone into labor it, at that point you're like what's going on <laughs> i mean it comes out of nowhere 
But that that to me is I mean, we we talk about movies that are so bad that it's good and movies that go out that intentionally try to be bad films. This is this is an example, I think, of them intentionally trying to make a sequel to King Kong and doing it in such earnest with some of the craziest ideas that it almost becomes like a masterpiece of so bad it's good. Mm. But I I was never bored. Never. I almost want Key and Peel to do the Gremlins two boardroom with this film. Oh yeah. That would be awesome. It's in the movie. Yeah. Cause it's in the yeah. movie. Right. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I, I mean, I agree with everything you guys said. I, I would only dissent in the fact that just when I thought I was getting bored, something just amazing would happen. And it's transition from serious to grotesque, almost horror to goofball comedy to heroic bloodshed. I mean, it almost feels like they were going after all of these different genres and didn't even know it. Like they, they were tripping over these genres and ended up putting it in here. Yeah. Uh, and I, it's, I'll say this, it's a, what, what adds to that is between the cinematography, the editing, it's a competently made film. I mean, you can't take that away from it in terms of a film it's yeah. not. It's not a bad film in terms of you. <clears throat> to me, the money is on the screen. Yeah. It 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 may have the kookiest screenplay out there, but it's still a competently made film. This is not a bad director doing a bad film. This is a actually pretty good director working with just a Looney Tune script and trying to really shoot the heck out of it. And um, what you get. I think there's a reason why it looks so good on Blu-ray. It, it's a good-looking film for 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 '86. I think it is. I mean, I know the special effects are dodgy, but I didn't expect them to be great to begin with. Well, they just uh, they ported they took ten-year-old special effects and didn't update them. They just took yeah. them from '76 and pulled it over. Yeah, yeah. Which is awesome. I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. That's awesome. I mean, if, yeah, I mean, I except for the big hand going through the jungle, I liked quite a bit of it, but even then I was still kind of impressed with this gigantic fake hand moving through the jungle. Well, yeah, because if you watch the 76 version, there's a lot of that, right? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It, I'll say this, it actually, it, so you didn't watch the first one, right, Sammy, this week? I didn't, I didn't rewatch it, but I've seen it a thousand times. Okay, so I watched King Kong Lives, then watched the original. I kind of wish I had watched him in reverse, well, <laughs> because I, I think outside of what, what's interesting to me is the 76 version feels like a 70s film. This feels like an 80s film, but yet there is some DNA that ties them both together and they feel like it comes from the same universe, which is crazy to me. Yeah. I mean, again, I think this film is is dumb as hell, but man. I had a really good time watching it. And I think that happens sometimes. I don't think there's any shame in that. I think sometimes it's fun to just watch a movie that is so gleefully over the top and ridiculous that you just, you walk away from it and you're like, wow, that was something. I don't even know how to describe that. I mean, after we got done watching it, uh, we went to, we went to bed because we're old. Uh, um, not together, not together. No, separate rooms. Okay. (laughs) Just to clarify. Yeah. But we went to bed and, uh, it just sounded like it when I say that out loud, but, um, 
I was remember laying in bed before I fell asleep, and I remember thinking, how am I going to approach this when we talk about this film? How am I going to approach it? Because that was gloriously stupid. Yeah. And then I thought to myself, well, that's how you approach it. I mean, this movie is gloriously stupid, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I, I obviously, I think they were earnest, and they were trying to make something better, and I think Dino was always looking for the next big thing because that's his job, and that's what he always wanted. But, man, I can't imagine the stories that went on during behind the scenes and this stuff and everything else. And what it really made me think is I wish I had time when I was there to just go ahead and watch all the special features then and just see what went down. Because it just seems like at every turn they make a more strange decision. Yeah. And I'm like, who is who is navigating this ship? Is it Dino? Is it Gillerman? I've since read that Gillerman was still his son died while he was making Sheena, and that he he kind of got detached after a while, and some of it was finished by a TV director of somewhat. Yeah, I, I I think the story that I had read was the same thing to where there's at some point in the production, it's not that he stepped away; it's just that more and more everybody else was jumping in to to direct sequences, etc. Yeah, and he was just kind of he was processing his son's death, so he was yeah. going through depression. And he would walk away sometimes for a little bit and stuff. And uh, he was just having a hard time. But I, I do think there's craft here. Like yeah. you said, I think there's craft here. I think the movie looks good. I think cin- cinematography is really solid. I do think the special effects are dodgy, but I think they're dodgy in the 76 film too. And, I, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that type of special effect for this. There, I mean, it does it, add it a charm to it, I think. It does. Yeah. The only thing I don't like about the special effects is the monkey smiles, man. I mean, that is disturbing <laughs> stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh it is creepy i will say that yeah but that that's a little bit of that horror element i'm just i'm just shocked how it would go graphic creepy to just uh straight out oddball comedy in the next sequence it, it was it was nuts yeah. to me it's all over the place i mean it is it is the definition of inconsistent or well <laughs> consistently inconsistent yeah well there you go maybe that's the way to put it but i mean wow yeah. What, I mean, what a viewing. I mean, I'm glad I rewatched it. I'm glad I came on the show because I don't know that I would have jumped. I, I thought I had a grasp on that film when I saw it when I was younger. So I thought, yeah, I didn't really like it. I just remember it being the heart transplant movie. Man, it's so much more than the heart transplant <laughs> movie. <laughs> well, I mean, of of the films you've seen, it, I know it's only April. But, I mean, if you think about it. April? Oh, April? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We've had three or four months of, well, three and maybe a half months of of watching movies. For me, I'll just put this out there. This was one of my biggest surprises. Like I kind of, I had in my head going, I remember. This is the best best rewatch I've had all year. Yeah. I I was kind of saying, like, I I was excited about rewatching it because I remember liking this growing up, um, but not remembering why I liked it. And then when I watched it, it it felt like I'd never seen it before. (laughs) Yeah, and I, I had a total blast watching it, but I don't know where this sits in your guys's um, like hierarchy of, of movies you've seen this year. Oh boy, maybe I mean, it, it, I mean I, I it's one of the again it's one of the best watches I've had this year, and I would argue maybe the best watch I've had this year. But again, I, I did I had a lot of good rewatches with you up there because we exposed my son to some stuff like the Last Starfighter, which is a great film, and then uh, Drive, the '97 film. We watched that again. And uh, Landon got to experience that, and he liked that quite a bit. He's talked about it ever since. So, um, and we watched Project A. So, oh, you know, yeah. we, when we get together, a lot of times, for those who don't know, 
you would think that Troy and I and Brad, we would get together and watch stuff we've all not seen, but that's not what we do. We tend to, we tend to be like, Hey, Brad, you ever seen this? Hey, Rick, you ever seen this? Hey, Troy, you ever seen this? Yeah. And just kind of rewatch things. And I mean, I wasn't like coming up there. I, I wasn't super pumped to rewatch King Kong lives. I mean, you, we, you were talking about how to watch it for the show. And I was like, well, come here. Might as well watch it. I'll go ahead and be on the show. I might as well watch it now. And we, we put it off. We, we kept delaying it. Yeah, we did. Yeah. I wasn't super pumped to do it. We watched the we watched the film for the next breaking Brad before we watched this. <laughs> we did. So we weren't we? really we weren't poor really super, you poor bastard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it was a great movie watching week. I I'm sure Troy can vouch for that. I mean, we had Absolutely. A, we had a hell of a time. I loved it. Uh, I don't think I had a bad experience uh in anything we did. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I don't know. <clears throat> I'd have to think about what I've seen this year rewatch what well this is my first time watch so all this stuff i've seen i mean this will probably stick with me for a long time um yeah. which is saying something um yeah yeah it's not going anywhere from your yeah brain. it's not forgettable i'll say that okay well I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of two films come to mind this year for me and it's this one and alex garland's men <laughs> those two mm. are the ones where i'm like wow i'm not going to forget either one of those anytime soon yeah I, I, that, that moved up in my list since we've talked so um yeah and i know you're repping pretty hard for it on your show too so yeah, 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 yeah. I, I would love to be there when you watch it, but if you watch it, go ahead. I mean, I'm not going to tell you to wait for me, but yeah, okay. I would love to see. I would love to see people's faces. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll have a video or something and record it for you. Uh, okay. Well, I'm going to ask the question real quick. I'm going to start with you, Brad. We just got done having a lively discussion with tons of double entendres and Freudian slips over King Kong Lives 1986. Is this a bomb? Hi, Troy. I don't know. <laughs> my heart wants to say that it is but i think people have to see it so mm. no it's not a phone <laughs> okay we're, we're going with that uh, one we're okay. going with that you said no okay all right sammy over to you is is king kong lives a bomb so i'll take the different approach to it i think it is a bomb but i think it's a glorious bomb like i think it's like this is a bomb you have to see okay but it but it, is it a bomb where it's not a bomb or is it just flat out bomb you're overcomplicating the bomb here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I think it is a bomb. I understand why it bombed, but I, I don't see for me in my vernacular, my film theology, my way of thinking bad doesn't always necessarily mean bad. Okay. So this is, look, if you listen to me talk about Italian films all the time, me and Will and all of us, this is an Italian adventure film made in America with i don't know what kind of guy about monkey sex yeah it feels <laughs> it feels rudderless but then again it doesn't <laughs> it's a bizarre creation it's out of all the king kong and i've seen some pretty crazy king kong films and some pretty crazy kong derivatives this one's got to be like top one two or three i i agree with you yeah i mean this one is just it is gonzo i mean this is just I, I can't even explain how crazy this film is. I mean, it's it's nuts. So but I'm gonna I'm gonna say yeah, it's a bomb, but you have to see it. Okay, I'm gonna say you said it was not a bomb just through your description. We're putting you in the yes category that you should see it. I'm uh, complicating the rating system here, but that's you fine. Should definitely that's fine. See it. Okay, I'm gonna say it's definitely not a bomb. It is one of the most interesting uh, failures at a box office from the '80s that you can experience. Yeah. And if you are a collector and just our discussion, you've never seen this film 
and your interest has peaked a little bit, you you can, I think Diabolic DVD has it. I know you can go to Umbrella. Now, it's an Australian company, so your, your shipping and handling is going to be a little bit more. Uh, you can find it on eBay. But I would strongly encourage you to track this down and see it. It's so much fun. But the, the, the print looks fantastic. And if you have the opportunity, watch it with like-minded viewers. And I guarantee you'll have a blast. It's To me, it's one of those 80s gems and this is why I like listening to podcasts or listening to your show, Sammy, uh, or, or even doing our show is going back and especially these films that I kind of remember and from, mm-hmm. you know, these little pockets of decades and, and just saying, wow, this, this has a really interesting reputation or the story behind this film, super interesting. Or I remember this one thing sticks out about the film, revisiting it and then kind of falling in love with it all over again. So I do agree with you. It's like one of the worst movies I've ever seen, but it's at that level of, it's so bad. I I just absolutely adore it. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's the one thing you just said a minute ago that really stuck with me is like I, you know, I thought I'd seen this. I, honestly, I know I've seen this film. I but watching this time, I felt like I'd never seen it before. Yeah, it was it just blew my mind. Well, and I, I think it's a combination of how good the Blu-ray looked, but also how these scenes were like. Man, did I did I suppress that as a memory because it was so bonkers? My my, I don't know, childhood couldn't process that. So, you know, 14 year old yeah. Troy was like, I don't know what to do with, with those things. So, um, yeah, I mean, we probably took it very seriously, but as you've gotten older and I've gotten older and Brad and all of us, I mean, it's like, wow, what is going on? Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's not a bomb. We're, we're going to say all three said not a bomb. There we go. Okay. No, that's fine. Unbelie- unbelievable. Uh, uh, totally believable. <laughs> How about some feedback, Brad? Sure. I'd love some feedback. Okay. <clears throat> Listener feedback. It's been a busy week. First one from Ryan. Hello again to you all. Thanks for reading my last message on the show sometime back. That was really cool to hear. I want to let you know that I still enjoy what you do. It's nice to have a little something to look forward to and help me through the week. Because of you two, I've discovered some new films in the last year and gotten around to watching a few I've been meaning to see again for ages. Ryan, go check out King Kong Lives. You won't regret it. Uh, the program has definitely been a part of my renewed enthusiasm for movies in general and remembering to enjoy them and not just study them or you lose sight of the whole point. And I appreciate some of the personal stories you've shared recently, which highlighted both who you are and how movies intersect with our lives. I appreciate the variety of films you cover and the approach you take to try and meet the movie on its own terms and look at what the film was attempting. There's a lot of negativity out there, and while you don't have to like everything, your show at least has fun with the discussion and tries to be fair and see the good that is there. But I like the Breaking Brad stuff, too. Uh, don't we all? <laughs> Although, all of us except one person, maybe. Maybe one person. No, I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. says, uh, although I was not going to rewatch the Apple in order to play along, once was plenty. <laughs> <laughs> if Smart I can make choice. yeah, it says if I can make a recommendation for future episodes, I would restate my wish for Francis Ford Coppola's one from the heart. Oh, that yes. would be a conversation, I think. And uh, Ryan, I tracked down a copy. I, I ended up buying it because it's on our list. So we are going to talk about that. Nice. And I'll add to that Star Trek five, the final frontier. That oh, would man. be a great excuse to hear your views on the whole series. I agree 100 percent. We need to do that one, Brad. Yeah, I, I, I just, I, my knowledge of Star Trek, I, I would just make a lot of people mad, John that, included, and I don't want John Nance to come after me. That that <laughs> one's pretty 
out there, though. I don't know if you really need a lot of Star Trek knowledge to get through that one. And we can do our William Shatner impersonations the whole time because he directed yeah. it, right? Uh, yes, he did. Yeah. I would, I would, if if you guys do that, I would, I would definitely pony up and like to be part of that because Sweet. actually that's one of my favorite of the Star Trek series. We'll get you and John Nance on, so John Nance gives us some street cred. Oh, that'd be good, yeah, because I haven't done any John. I haven't worked with John on the podcast yet. Awesome. Uh, he goes on and says, that's all for now. Just want to remind you we're out here listening and that the show is great. Thanks for all the work you put into it and keep up the good work. Wow. wow. Super nice. Yeah. Thank you, thank Ryan. You, Ryan. Yep. I, awesome. I love that. I love that email. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to read this and I can tell you right now, I'm not going to do this email justice because it comes from our good friend, Randy. And if, if only Randy would have just recorded this and sent this in, I would have played it, but here we go. Okay. So Randy says, I have your next descent into hell. Spinning Gold is the biopic of Neil Bogart, founder of Casablanca Records. Famously, he rode the wave of disco up and then into the ground. Picture, mm -hmm. if you will, Scarface. Music instead of drugs. Dump Oliver Stone and Brian De Palma for the triple threat writer, director, producer, and son of Neil Bogart. I'm glad he was able to step away from his duties on Outdaughter to create this cinematic masterpiece. Picture, if you will, Springfield, America, shortly after Jeff Goldblum has guested on an episode. In a forgotten corner of the town lies an abandoned telepod into which a drunken Conan O'Brien or whoever, whoever is writing the show now chucks Millhouse, Captain Kirk, and a five-pound sack of cocaine out of the other telepod a non-animated world pops out song and dancer actor Jeremy Jordan fresh off of Hanukkah on Rye, a not too bad singer with all the charisma of a highway motel couch cushion. <laughs> that is the most complicated paragraph I've ever had to read in my life. The film documents the rise of Neil Bogart. I should clarify that he just goes up and up and right into heaven in an end scene that boldly rips off all that jazz. Only after Neil's passage into the great beyond, he gets to play heaven. Remember, the greatest hits of the 70s performed by hollow, uninspired cover artists? Blame George Clinton for demanding a spaceship and giving a down payment of coke to Neil, which superfuels his path to, well, not much of anything. It's sort of a non-issue, but they frame it a lot. Cringe at the repeated phonograph record sounds layered into the soundtrack for all of the dummies out there. Realize that the framing device that they use to reveal Neil's genius and inspiration is going to be on repeat throughout the film in the most tiresome way possible. Seriously, EC Comets did it better. Wonder at the limpest mob beatdown in cinema. Note that the film conveniently stops where Bogart nearly bankrupt Polygram Records. This film is the cinematic equivalent of someone pissing in your milkshake and then Daniel Day-Lewis comes along, swipes it, and downs it while giving you the stink eye. And all you can do is laugh. It's going to flop like Cheetos lip balm or Google Glass. Bring forth your most steadfast of brads, and I will break them all. <laughs> all right. Well, all right, Randy. We're, we're, we got to add that to the list then. I think it's already out of theaters. I don't know. It like played a week or something. Yeah. I was interested in it until Randy's review hit the scene there. Yeah, well, now I'm definitely interested in seeing it. Yeah, that's, that's the problem, right? I, I'm the I'm the guy that reads that, and I'm like, oh, now I got to see it. Yeah, me yeah. too. As soon as he sent this in, I'm like, well, this is just moving on up to the list. Okay. Uh, here's one from Cam. 
suggested some cheesy erotic thrillers like Original Sin and Color of Night. Um, and he also suggested Ballistic X versus Sever, which we're definitely going to talk about that one. But yeah, I, I like I mean, these. That keeps coming up. Yeah. Every yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Brad, this one. What? Yeah. So Chris Evans, a.k.a. Brad, sent in an email. <laughs> <My> God, <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, here we go. So it says, this is Brad. I mean, Chris again. <laughs> that was funny, Brad. Wanting to let Troy know. Good one, Brad. Yeah, it was a good one, Brad. Uh, wanting to let Troy know that it was me who sent the QT email. Trust me, though, if I would have known you were going to attack Brad as much as you did, then I would have sent it a long time ago. Anyway, that was me. I exist. Brad, seriously. <laughs> You're trying too hard. Um, also, this is going to blow your theory completely out of the water. I loved Hots and Hawk. Okay, so of course you would write in that you love Hudson Hawk to validate. I would I I would never, I would <laughs> never even pretend to write that, Troy. That is offensive and I am upset. All right. Well, I'm going on with your email. So it says, I loved Hudson Hawk. Sure, it's dumb, but if I watched it for the first time for the podcast and enjoyed every second, suck it, Brad. Wow, that's fun. I see why you guys do it now. <laughs> okay, this this guy might be real. <laughs> anyway, just so this email isn't all about busting Brad's balls, I have a question. Since we talked about beloved cult films like Big Trouble and The Thing, what are some films you think will be cult favorites in five to ten years? Thanks. You guys have any Ooh. titles that you're, I mean, just something you've seen recently that you think might attain cult status? I think I think Love and Monsters will, Troy. Uh, that was one that came top of mind. Yeah. I think that one's going to get uh, a lot of appreciation. Alita Battle Angel, I think, for sure. Yeah, that's starting to come around. I think come back around to Alex Garland's Men again. I think that'll be a cult film in the future. Or uh, Annihilation, another Alex Garland film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, the, these people that swing for the fences and and you know it, it kind of goes either way if you with whomever if they hit or miss. But there's a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, I'll, I, we talked about this. Um, so Sammy and I had a chance to be on Watch Skip Plus, and I, what film did you all do? We did Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Thieves. across your chin. Yeah, oh, there we go. Hey. <laughs> um, no, we, we did the latest Dungeons and Dragons film. And I made this point. And I, the more I think about it, I, I, think, I think it's true. For some 10 or 12-year-old, I think that film is going to achieve cult status because it has a lot in common with a movie like Big Trouble in Little China in terms of your, your main protagonist and hero actually is kind of the sidekick. It's geared more towards comedy. Uh, I think it's got a lot, a ton of interesting visuals. I I've seen it twice now. I have a blast. I, I can't wait to watch it again, yep. but I, I, for me, big trouble in little China is like top five film for me, but I saw it at a particular age and just fell in love with it. I could see a, a group of, of like-minded maybe people who go see that film and then, you know, the next 20 years they go, wow, I love rewatching Dungeons and Dragons Honor of Thieves. It's so much fun. That, that would be a recent one that I've come yeah. across. Yeah. Okay. I could see that. I really could. Okay. Uh, this one's from Zoe. Uh, so go listen to the Backlook Cinema Podcast. Zoe's got a great podcast over there. He wrote in and said, I'm doing research for Apollo 13 and I came across this movie that I really liked, but I don't think anyone ever talks about. 
It bombed hard, and I think you guys should check it out. It's called Imposter. It's based on a Philip K. Dick story directed by Gary Fleeter and, star- and stars Gary Sinise and Vincent D'Onofrio. D'Onofrio? I always say his name. D'Onofrio. Yep. It's sci-fi action drama with androids and angst, and it's worth checking it out. Do you guys like Imposter? I haven't seen Imposter in a long time. What is Imposter? Is it the... It's a Philip K. Dick. So it's it's a uh, Gary Sinise. It's um. Uh, I've never seen it. Oh, it's I, from two thousand and one. That's older. I I'm I was Zoe on this. I've I I saw it and I liked it quite a bit. I think it's fun. Yeah, I, I need to check it out. Maybe. Okay. Mackay well, Pfeiffer's in it as well, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hey, uh, Brad. Yes. So, something just came in. So we we have our very own H reporter. Nathan Atkinson at the 2023 Phoenix Film Festival. So real quick, I want to kick it over to him. He's calling in right now, and uh, he wants to give us a little summary of his events over there. So uh, this is exciting. This I, is exciting. I love this. I know. This ring, is cool. Ring. All right. Ring, so ring. Nathan, what's going on over there? Thanks, Troy. Nathan here on the scene to provide a not a bomb live action film festival report from the 2023 Phoenix Film Festival in nice and sunny Phoenix, Arizona. While attending the festival, I've been able to catch 22 features, 35 shorts, and even pulled a Brad by walking out on one. A good number of writers, directors, cast, and producers have been on site for Q&A sessions. Here's a list of some that are not a bomb. Laced. This has some pretty intense scenes and unpredictable moments. I would not recommend viewing this with your wife after watching Laquisha, as she'll have a game plan to end you. Hundreds of beavers. Some old friends from Wisconsin have worked to create their second film, resulting in something that combines Looney Tunes-style slapstick comedy with 80s video games. One of the more unique things I've seen in a while. Everything went fine. This French film starring Sophie Marceau is a heartbreaker. Solid performances all around left me wondering when I got all these damned allergies. In a dark, dark room. It's fun to see how Ukraine has a lot of the same folklore as us. A great combination of comedy and horror in an interesting story. Mind, Body, Spirit. This is a recommendation for anyone who loves lower-budget horror films. While predictable at moments, it's interesting enough to keep watching, especially when it pokes fun at content creation culture. Smoking Causes Coughing. What would happen if France made Amazon women on the moon? Something like this. It's great ridiculous fun with a ton of laughs. A good number of films at the festival should be on a variety of streaming services by the end of the year, with details for many still being ironed out. Thanks, and back to you in the studio. Thanks, Nathan. That That's awesome, man. I, I, I got to be honest with you. Um, of the movies he's talked about, and only because you showed me this trailer, Sammy, I'm, I'm really excited for Smoking Causes Coughing. So yeah. Nathan compares it to Amazon Women on the Moon, so that immediately has me interested, but you got to show me that trailer and that, that thing looks bonkers, but I'm, I'm kind of excited for everything that he talked about. There's some, there seem to be some really good films coming out of that festival. I'm always impressed when somebody goes to a festival and sees more than 10 films. Dude, he's crushing it. I mean, I don't that think, is amazing. I, I would have walked out of so many of those. <laughs> I'm glad that he did. Uh, <laughs> I think next year we should go with Nathan to the Phoenix film festival. We should plan that. I would be down for going to Phoenix. All right. 
that would sound it's got that dry heat troy i heard they have dry heat and scorpions i don't like the scorpions but apparently you shake your shoes out and they run away uh i guess yeah okay well brad what are we doing what are we doing next week this is your pick boy do i have a pick for you troy it is 1991's comedy question mark drop dead fred oh boy okay (laughs) This will give me an excuse to go back and revisit the young ones, I think, because it has Rick Mayall, right? In that yeah, film. It, it, it does have Rick Mayall, and really, it's a cult film because of Rick Mayall, because he had such a, a cult following. Yeah, I, I I had only known him from this movie and uh, my love for the young ones. I think it's one of yeah. it's like one of my favorite TV shows of all time. Yeah, one of my favorite TV shows as well. Okay. Sammy, what's going on at the Gentleman's Guide? You're back, man, right? Back, yeah, we just did the Dunwich Horror from 1970 with Dean Stockwell and uh, and uh, Sandra D. Uh, Arrow just put out a, dis- a version of that. It's amazing. I know. I gotta uh, buy it now. Stupid. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a really good Lovecraft film too. Um, so not just to own it for the reasons of that, but I mean, it's it's a really good Lovecraft film, and I I, I think people should have it and should definitely see it. The 1970 Dunwich Horror that is, and then we got upcoming uh, next week. We're doing. Uh, uh, some Peter Strickland stuff, uh, Flux Gourmet, which is a film that came out in 2022. Oh, okay. That's, which I can't even... A, sorry. Was, I can't was that even a fir- be, first time watch for you? Yeah, that'll be a first time watch. Uh, I have never... I've seen Peter Strickland films before, Bavarian Sound Studio, uh, In Fabric, um, uh, Duke of Burgundy, these films. He's a complicated filmmaker. I can't even begin to describe to you. I've watched half of this film. I can't even describe it. I'm I'm already struggling, and we haven't even reviewed it yet. Wrap <laughs> in. Ooh, hey, one <laughs> one shutter for those who want to play along at home. Okay, one can. minor correction to this week's podcast: Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan turned sixty nine, not seventy. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, just just little little correction there. Well, I mean, sixty nine is not far away, and it, it is a better number than seventy. Let's be honest. Hey, 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 all you got to do is ask Mister <laughs> and Mrs. Kong. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, <laughs> uh brad if anybody else wants to write in and give us some feedback apparently we have a bunch of new listeners which was kind of shocking but yeah a little backstory on that apparently we were on buzzfeed troy yeah so I didn't. thanks alex for getting us there because we have kind of been blowing up over we the couldn't last figure out what i thought we thought we got hacked actually um and then come to find out it's actually people listening to us which is weird yeah, which is actually scary and adds way more pressure than yeah i kind of wish we were getting hacked and not getting a bigger audience because yeah. now the pressure's on <laughs> yeah uh what'd you need sorry i got sidetracked <laughs> oh hell i don't know what did i add oh, oh oh yeah yeah how do they get a hold of us for for making recommendations yeah that's uh not a bomb pod at gmail.com you can also go to our website not a bomb podcast.com hit the contact us button or hit us up on twitter instagram and facebook yeah i don't know why you're listening this is the most disorganized <laughs> <laughs> show uh, out there man very, I, i'm not saying it because i'm on it it's a great it's a great show you guys do uh as i often say when anybody champions the films that nobody talks about it's doing the lord's work uh there you go well thank you sammy we we'd love it um there's a ton of other podcasts you should listen to as well gentleman's guide to midnight cinema brad what else watch skip plus the vhs files night of the living podcast oh and they're they're doing uh they released an episode this week kong skull island so everybody's talking king kong so great minds yeah april is catching on yes uh the backlook cinema (laughs) podcast and the mixtape podcast 
That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I honestly, folks, thank you so much for these emails. We, we love the interaction. We love reading these. We love reaching out to you on the social medias. I think Brad and I have actually been pretty good lately of responding to the messages that we're getting, but also to the post. But I mean, more importantly, we're just, we're really just here to have fun and build a community. And if there's anything you want to see more of less of, or if there's a film you want us to talk about, just hit us up. We'd love to do it. And, um, if you get a chance, go to your favorite podcast, um, tool could be Apple. I don't know what else is out there. Spotify, uh, everything. Play. Amazon has podcast. Yeah. yeah everything, everything. Everything. If you get a chance, just leave us a quick I review. Radio, I believe is one. I hearts. Yeah. yeah. I've, I found out we're like all over Stitcher, the place. Stitchers out there still. You got, you got tons of them. Okay. Podcast addict. Yeah. If you, if you, if you get a chance, leave us a quick review, especially if you like us, um, so that you can share, uh, this little project with others. Um, and again, I can't say this enough. Thank you so much for just coming along for the ride and for participating. Um, Sammy, and I can't thank you enough. I, I know you got a lot of stuff going on and you're trying to get back into the gentleman's guide, but Every time we have you on, it's an absolute pleasure. It's so much fun. And I know you got a crazy schedule, but thanks for taking yeah. just a couple hours to spend time with us. I really, I have so little free time when I'm in the box that it's <laughs> nice to get out occasionally and <laughs> <laughs> do a podcast. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, anything else, Brad? Any other house cleaning? Nope. Okay. Well, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thank you for listening to our little episode on King Kong Lives come back next week we're going to talk about another bomb a little cult classic called drop dead fred i'm sure you can find it it's it's pretty available out there right now and uh we'll see you then don't lose your head ook ook <laughs>